You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And this is about the Old Testament, the old way of doing uh, sacrifices and, and the law. And it says this, Hebrews 10, 1. The law. Everybody say, the law. And the law represents Old Testament, the Torah, the, the, whole, the whole dealio, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. So the Old Testament way of doing things is only a shadow of the good things coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could... Like, so if, if someone killed a ram on account of their sins, and that really made them perfect, if, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are actually just a reminder of the sins. Verse 4, here's the big one. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That those animals dying in the Old Testament were just uh, the, the coming of things to come. That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of those sacrifices being made. And that Jesus makes perfect those who believe in him. So let's pray this morning. Let's thank God for being here and for salvation. God, we do praise you as, as, as this month we study soteriology, the study of salvation here in the Mill Sunday School. God, we thank you for, for the fact that we can just believe in you. And you make us perfect, you make us righteous, you make us forgiven, you make us not guilty of the sins and the mistakes that we've committed. God, we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for grace and how it is that you work in our life, how it is that you make us holy, and that in the end, the hope that we have is in heaven. God, we love you and we praise you. We are excited that we get to live in your presence have you inside of us, and that there is a coming hope, the coming hope of heaven that, that we get to look forward to. So God, we love you, and we praise you, and everybody screamed, Amen! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so in the Old Testament, if you committed a sin, let's say you had a bunch of land, and you were going to sell some of your land to a friend of yours, a neighbor of yours, and you had what you called 30 acres of land. And so you had 30 acres, but you sold 25 of those acres to your neighbor and called it 30 acres. So you're doing a bad deal, a bad business deal. You're like, hey, bro, I'll sell you all 30 acres of my property. Here it is, fenced in. It's 30 acres. I I, I want this much money per acre. So 30 times that price is this amount of money. That guy gives you that amount of money for 30 acres. And then he he owns the land. He has his cows out there. He starts looking at it and thinking about it. and, and, And he says, this doesn't seem like 30 acres. It seems a little shorter than that. And he actually measures it out. Measuring out 30 acres is a big deal. So he measures it out. He should have done that before he bought it, but he he measures it out and finds it's only 25 acres, yet he paid the price for 30 acres. Would he be ticked? Yes, he'd be ticked. He would, he would say, hey, bro, you sold me 25 acres instead of 30 acres, and I paid you for the 30 acres. What gives? And if the guy was like, yeah, too bad, 
your mistake. And he's like, no, this is, this is unright. This is a bad business deal that you did. Knowing that this was only 25 acres, you sold it for 30. And so the, the guy could go to the Old Testament court, go before Moses or whoever was in, in line as, as being the, the judge, and say, hey, this, this dummy sold me 25 acres, but he said it was 30, and I paid him for 30. Then you know what would happen? Well, then you'd be sued in the the Old Testament court and you would have to make atonement, make retribution for the the five acres. And so what probably would happen is like, you get to pick five acres of this guy's land, the most choice five acres you want, and that will be your land as retribution for that bad business deal. So that's how, how it was justified. But there was more. Because you sinned against the Lord, you had to bring a ram as a guilt offering to the priest. And so you brought one of your lambs, uh, one of your rams, or one of your goats. <laughs> Anyways, one of your animals. I think it's a goat. It's a goat. No, it's not. It's a ram. It's a ram. You bring a ram to the high priest. This, this little ram that did not do anything wrong, you bring it to the high priest. And it's valuable. I mean, people didn't have cars back then. So it was like, this is not only my my life and my, you know, food and my milk. I don't know. Can you milk a ram? I don't think you could milk. Anyways, sorry. I apologize. I don't even know what I'm saying up here. I I don't know my farm animals enough to know. I wasn't raised on a farm. I don't know. But anyways, you bring your ram to the high priest and the ram didn't do anything wrong, but the ram is killed on your behalf because of the bad business deal that you did. Do Do you see that picture? An animal dying for your sin? Do you see it? Okay, we're going we're gonna to get, we're going we're gonna to build on that idea in a minute. Because the wages of sin, it says in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is, is death. A lot of you know that verse. That, that the Lord's requirement for sin was the covering over of, of an innocent animal having to die and its blood being shed. And that wasn't just like people saying, oh, we should make ourselves right with God. We should do something a certain way. But instead, it was, it was God himself saying, here's how I want you to be made right in my sight. I want you to kill an innocent animal on the behalf of your sins. This animal that didn't do anything wrong. It needs to be killed for your mistake, for your sin. And I think in our society, we are very removed from the death of animals. We are very removed. Even the thought of killing an animal for food is like, well, I'll, I'll just go to the grocery store and get, get my food. It's this idea of like, oh, I'm hungry. I need some chicken nuggets. And so you go get your bag of chicken nuggets, and they're shaped in like little dinosaur shapes. It's like t- Tyrannosaurus Rex chicken nugget. And you, and you dip your chicken nuggets in ranch, and you eat them, and they're delicious. And you're like, oh, I was so hungry, but now I'm full because I had the, the, tetra, te- the T-Rex chicken nuggets. And so that's very far removed from the idea that a, a chicken had to die for, for the food that you just ate. Don't you think? Don't you think we're far removed from, from animals being killed? How many of you have ever killed an animal for food? One, two-ish, three-ish. Le- way less than half. Way, and, and, and I don't know what you were doing for the food or if you were hunting or if you lived on a farm. I don't know. But it's, it's definitely the exception in here that, that we, most of us, haven't killed. And, and daily, we don't have to kill for food. And I think that's an okay thing. I, think, I, think, I just think we're far removed from this idea that death brings life. That we need to kill an animal in order to fill our bellies. We need to kill something in the Old Testament way of doing something to atone for a mistake. And what I want you to do is I want you to return, if, if you want to, 
to Leviticus 16. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 16. And in Leviticus, I'm not going to actually read any particular passage, but I want it to be opened for you because it's the whole chapter of this celebration, this day, which was called Yom Kippur. And Yom means day, and then Kippur means atonement. This day of atonement. And it was a day that came once a year, and this was the only day in the calendar year where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifices for the, the sins of Israel. So on a day-to-day level, if you committed a sin, if you did a bad business deal, or if you murdered someone either accidentally or by force, or if you committed adultery, or if you became unclean, or if you did any kind of sin, there would be a retribution in which you would have to bring an animal to the high priest and he would kill it for, the, for that sin, for your individual sins. But this day, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is when all of Israel was made just before the Lord. And it's the God of the Old Testament, by the way, the God, the same God of the New Testament. And this is a shadow of the things to come. And so this day of atonement starts off with a high priest. Is anyone in here a high priest? Do we have a high priest in here? Like a real one? Is there a real high priest? Like from the Old Testament time? Yeah, here we go. Thank goodness. (laughs) We got a high priest. (laughs) He's hanging out back there. Let's have a high priest. Round of applause for our high priest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on up. Come on up. Let's, let's, let's do this thing. All right, so here's, here's the high priest. He's, 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 he, yeah, he's got his watch on and his, his leather shoes. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's <laughs> this is the high priest. He was just hanging out back there. So it says in Leviticus 16 that, that the high priest is supposed to make atonement for the sins of Israel. And it said, this is God speaking. It says, tell the high priest not to come into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the altar or the ark anytime he wants or else he will die. And so it's only on this appointed day that, that the sins of Israel are atoned for in such a way that the high priest, this guy right here, his real name's Jordan, but he's, he goes by another name. Uh, never mind, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, the Day of Atonement. So, the high priest needs to make sacrifice for his own sins before he can go into the Holy of Holies. And so, th- what the Lord calls for is a bull and a ram. Do we have a bull and a ram in here? <laughs> Hold it up. Don't, don't be shy. <laughs> so, he's got like a, So, here's a little ram. Put it, put it over your face. So he's, he's a little ram. A ram face and, and a bull. See, see the ram and the bull? So to, to make us, says the high priest, he's made mistakes. He's not a perfect human being. And so sacrifices a ram and a bull. If you could see it in the back, it's like perfect. I, I cut them out myself. They're color copied, by the way. Um, and so the ram is the burnt offering. And so, so ram, why don't you come over to the high priest here? The high priest is going to kill you. <laughs> Figuratively, of course. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. So, so the, the ram is dead now. Maybe, maybe sit up so they can still see. Like, sit, just sit on the... There you go. <laughs> okay, so the ram's dead. The ram has been killed for the high priest's sins. And then what happens with the ram is the ram is taken to a fire, and the ram is burnt until it is totally gone. And then the priest takes the ashes that, that represent his own sin. He takes the ashes and brings them out of the city and, and dumps them off outside of the city. Brings, takes away the ashes. So just like take them and, and throw them over there or something. 
It's a nice scepter, by the way. So he's got the, just the ashes, though. So he's taken, he's over there now. <laughs> I, I didn't tell him he had to, like, fall over. And so he's just doing that because he's, he's a good actor. Round of applause for the ram. Okay, then, then the bull. So then a young bull, this, this guy, <laughs> comes over, come over to the high priest, and the high priest kills the young bull. So he's like killed right there. Oh, is he just... <laughs> Round of applause for the young bull. And, and has, has anyone ever seen a, a cow? It's a pretty big animal, don't you think? And, and today we have uh, comparably very humane ways of killing cows. We, they can be electrocuted, or if a farmer needs to kill a cow for whatever reason, he could shoot the cow. It's a, it's a humane, it's a quick death. But in Leviticus, Leviticus was written during the Bronze Age. The best kind of knives they had were silly little, uh, probably very not very sharp compared to our steel knives, but they had bronze knives. And so can you imagine killing a cow with a bronze knife like that would i mean honestly to paint this picture a little bit because because we're not familiar with it i don't mean to be grotesque just for grotesque sake but i imagine it taking several minutes of stabbing and cutting at this large animal and it like moving around and 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 it, i just don't picture a nice image of trying to kill a cow with a bronze knife to, I, I picture something gruesome and horrible and this poor cow did it do anything is it innocent Yes, it's in, it's, it doesn't do anything. It's just being a cow. No big deal. I mean, if PETA was, uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals, was around in the Old Testament time, they'd be having a heyday. They'd be suing everybody. Because, because it's true, though, that there's, the cow did nothing wrong, and it's being killed with a little bronze dagger. Are you kidding me? Like, how gruesome of a death. And yet, the bull had to die, and God is the one who says the bull has to die in this way. It's a sin sacrifice so that the high priest can now be holy. So we have a dead ram over there, the ashes, Patrick. <laughs> Hi, Patrick. And then we have Austin here, the, the dead bull on account of the high priest's sins, so that he can now go into the Holy of Holies. So the sacrifice for Israel was some goats. Do we have some goats in here? <laughs> where's the other oh yeah, there's the other goat okay so we got two goats and then and then the goat owner the, she she owns these goats and so 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 the goat owner she's an israelite brings her goats before the hyper and her goats get to be used for the sacrifice of sins for all of israel so there's two goats and what's going to happen is is an old testament way of a lot was cast and, and one goat is going to be killed immediately. The other goat is going to be something called the scapegoat. So we have to cast a lot. And the way that, the, 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 I guess the way that we cast a lot is flipping a coin. We'll flip a coin to see which goat dies immediately. So do you want to call it heads or tails? Yeah. Goat number one? Heads. heads. <laughs> <laughs> All right. High priest is going to cast a lot. It's Heads. It is heads. No, no, he wins, though. So the, so the other goat, so goat number two, come on over. And he is the sin offering. So he gets killed on the spot. Oh, oh, the poor little goat. So the, guy, so the goat is dead. He killed him. 
And, and so the goat for a, a sin offering, as it says in Leviticus 16, a sin offering, if you read earlier, you find out that a sin offering, the blood was spilt, and, and, and the, the high priest of a sin offering could actually take a portion of the meat, like a thigh or the rump or the... Uh, there's different parts of, of the goat steak that the priest could actually cook and the priest could then eat. And so to me, that kind of represents this idea of communion, that that, that a body is killed. And and Jesus himself in John 6 says, you must eat of my flesh and of my blood to be a part of me. And so this idea of eating of the flesh of Jesus so that you can live is the idea of communion. So the sin offering of this goat, so you can eat a piece of him if you want. (laughs) So he's like taking kind of like, I don't mean to make light of it, but he's, he's eating. He's like taking communion off the life of that goat. And then he takes some of the blood from the goat. And so he takes, takes some blood. <laughs> Not literally, we don't want anybody to get hurt in here. And so he's got some blood. He goes into the Holy of Holies, like behind the whiteboard maybe. Like, it's not that big. It's just... So he goes into, not just into the temple, but into the holy temple through this, this veil. And you're only allowed to go in there. Only the high priest, only once a year after making the other sacrifices, was he allowed to go in there. And he's back there sprinkling the blood of that animal on the altar, on, excuse me, not on the altar, on the, on the Ark of the Covenant, on the holy seat, on the mercy seat where the presence of God lives. And so, and so then he comes out after sprinkling the blood, and, and Israel's sins have, have been justified for, has been atoned for. But there's one more part. There's the other goat. And so this goat is the scapegoat. And, and what's instructed is, is that the owner of the goat takes this goat outside of the temple square, outside of the city, into the desert. And there's no water, there's no food, and, and the owner brings the goat out into the desert, and without food and water, the goat has to die out there. It's the scapegoat. The scapegoat. The, the idea that the sins of Israel, actually what the high priest does is he goes over and he puts his hands on the head of the goat and transfers all of the sins of Israel onto this goat, and then the owner takes them takes him out into the desert to die. So, yeah, you can just go there. That's good enough. That's, like, far, far enough. Yeah, it's like, keep him in the hot sun there. So he dies quickly. So the scapegoat, with the sin of Israel on it, dies on the account. It's like taking the sin outside of the camp, removing the sin. And isn't it interesting that when Jesus comes and his ministry starts, that, that John the Baptist looks at him as Jesus is coming to the River Jordan, and, 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 and John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then this idea that, you, Jesus, you need to eat the blood and eat the flesh of Jesus in order to be saved. And, and we celebrate communion. We, we celebrate this idea that we believe in Jesus and he takes away our sin. So, round of applause for animals and high priests. Thank you, guys. You guys are dismissed. Back to your, uh, wherever you guys live. <laughs>
So that's the idea. And I, I wanted us to see that image, to actually play it out, to take a couple minutes and, and really look at that scene uh, of what's happening on the Day of Atonement. And then talk about atonement for today, how justification is made. What does that word mean? How are our sins atoned for? And so we're going to look at some words today in your, in your, in your notes, your, your skillet. There's just a couple points. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. We're going to look at those words in just a minute. But before we do that, um, just some announcements. Um, we are studying soteriology, the study of salvation this month. If you're new to the Mill Sunday School, thanks for coming. It's usually not like this. We don't usually have animals and high priests roaming around. But it's a cool illustration, so I thank the people that helped us with that. And uh, But normal Sunday schools, uh, we thank you that you're here. We thank you if you're a visitor to the Mill Sunday School. If you fill out, there's some cards on the tables. If you fill out a first-timer card and, and bring it to the, to the table on your way out, they'll give you a CD. It's got some a worship songs on it and a sermon from the Mill on Friday night. If you haven't been to the Mill on a Friday night yet, you should definitely go check it out. Um, but we thank you for being here this morning in Sunday School. And we're going to learn about something extremely foundational to how salvation works. So I want you to each one of those words. And sometimes we have it like closed book, no using your Bible, no using your uh, iPhones, no using your computers. But I want to open it up and to, for, for you to discuss and for you to define these three terms on your own. I want you to kind of wrestle with it for a minute. Find the definition. If, you, if you're sitting at a table uh, where there's not very many of you, you could jump to another table if you want and kind of discuss what each of these three things mean. And maybe some of you already know what it means, and so just list the, the definition, and, but you could also look it up if you have a cool phone. So, ready, get set, go. Find the definition of justification, sanctification, and glorification. Okay, we'll go over each one of these separately. But what did you find the definition for justification to be? Anybody? Just yell it. <laughs> Acceptable? Good. Anybody else? Similar definition? Do you want to read yours? What? Just as if I'd never sinned. Have you heard that before? If, if you haven't heard that before, it's kind of cool. So the word justification is some, sometimes Christians will be like, oh, it's just if I've never sinned. And so it's kind of a fun way of defining the definition. How many of you have heard that before? Quite a few of you. It's, it's kind of cool. You know, it's a little kind of a preacher gag, but whatever. It's fun nonetheless. And it, it helps us think about the definition. The Greek word is up here. Dikaiosis, this idea of being made righteous. It's being declared just. So if you looked up the definition of dictionary.com, I think it said something like justification, being declared just. And so it's like, thanks a lot for the definition. You just use the word to define the word. Not that cool. But anyways, let's go further. If you look some more about where the word came from, you find that it's more of a, a courtroom word. This idea that um, you've been declared innocent. You're in a court. You're standing before God. God is saying, you've, you've done some sins and he's showing you your sins on a television screen and it's on replay and you're, gosh, you're doing all that and you're remembering your life on earth and so you're in heaven and it's a scene before God. And, and, he, and, and I, I kind of shared this idea last week 
that you're standing before God and he's, and he's declaring you guilty because you've, made, you've, you've done sins before. But then Jesus says, I will be the one who will take their sins away. I will be the scapegoat. Take their sins away. I will die on, on behalf so that they can live, so that they can be justified, so that they can be made righteous, so that they can be made just as if they'd never sinned. They can be made forgiven and not guilty and righteous. And all of those things are a part of, a part of this idea of justification. Romans 5.18 says, the result of one act of righteousness, and, and Romans 5 is referring to the death of Jesus on the cross, the result of that one action was the justification that brings life to all mankind. And so we have our justification. We can be declared righteous just by believing that the, that the sacrifice of Jesus was enough to take away our sins. That we can be imputed or received or declared righteous. Isn't that awesome? Not just forgiven. Like we can understand like you're in a courtroom and you're, you're like, yeah, you're guilty, but the gavel comes down and you're declared forgiven. We can get that, but this idea that you're declared not just forgiven, but you're declared not guilty. You're declared righteous by what Jesus did. And that, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's more than pretty cool. That's, that's, that's why we're here this morning. That's why that we worship a God that died for us. And that's awesome. And it, it goes back to that idea that, that the, the first verse I read this morning was Hebrews 1.10. Excuse me, Hebrews 10.1. That said that the, the blood of bulls and rams can never take away sin. But that was a, a reminder year after year of all the bad things that you had done. And, and a reminder that an innocent animal, I mean, an innocent animal had to be killed on the behalf of your mistakes for that year and your specific mistakes if you made a sin and had to bring an animal to the Lord for it to be killed. And so the wages of sin is death. That those animals weren't actually saving your soul because those, it's just an animal, but those animals were a reminder. They're suffering as that big cow is killed with a dull bronze knife. I mean, I imagine it to be dull because it just can't be anything like the knives we have today. And the suffering and just the, the gosh, that big animal dying on, a, on just behalf of my mistakes. Uh, God, I'm so sorry. I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. So that's justification, trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, being declared righteous because of his work. And this being declared righteous can sometimes be an awesome thing, like in the moment. Like how many of you, if you were to tell your testimony, it would be like a wow testimony. Like God, I was a drug dealer and I was killing things and beating up people on the street. And then I got saved. I was a gangster. And then, I, and then I, I'm no longer a gangster after believing in Jesus. Some of you have testimonies like that. I, I call them like the wow testimonies. Like, oh, wow, you were like a gangster? Like not just a, like a gangster, but like a real gangster? He's like, yeah, they were a gangster. And then, and then they're, not longer, they're no longer a gangster. Their life was totally changed. But others of us, like myself, I wasn't a gangster. Um, I kind of wanted to be, but I wasn't. Anyways, uh, I was just, I was a pretty good kid growing up. But Christ came into my life and radically changed me from the inside out. And, and there was radical change in my life with my attitude, with my conviction of sin. But not this wow testimony of like a gangster coming to the Lord. You know what I mean by that. Some of you have those testimonies and they're awesome. But being declared righteous doesn't necessarily 
feel like you've been made righteous. And here's what I mean by that. I'll explain. Um, like on the day I was married, I was married to my wife, Erica. And, and we were married, and uh, we were pronounced husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. I presented, the pre- pastor saying, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Kirkendall. And our son came on, and we walked out. And then we got a bunch of pictures taken, and, and we got to sign the, the, the wedding document, the, um, the marriage license. Thank you. And, and then, so we were declared married. But I remember at some point during the pictures, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, it doesn't feel any different, does it? And we're like, no, it, it doesn't feel it. I mean, we're married, we're getting our pictures taken, we're smiling. I mean, it's an awesome day, but it didn't really feel any different. But, and, and so in that moment, we're like, okay, we've been declared legally before the Lord. We've been declared married, but it doesn't feel any different. We had to work that out. We had to be married for it to for, for days, weeks, years, for, for us to feel like we're married. It felt a lot different the next morning waking up with someone in your bed. Like, that feels different. It's like, what in the world? There's someone else in my bed. And so, like, that felt different. But in the moment of being married and declared and signing the papers, it didn't feel any different. So we had to, you, you, when you get married, you have to you work out what it means to be married. Work through things and live life together. Because it felt different when it's like, man, uh, my bank account. Like, it's, it's like we have two that are now one and that we could transfer money in between them. Like, that feels different. Like, where's all my money going? That feels different. <laughs> Just kidding. She's very, she spends very well. Um, but that, I mean, you know what I mean? So like on the day we were declared married, it didn't feel like we were married. But the process, we've been married three years now, and, and it feels like we're married now. We've, we've been working that out, working out our salvation, which brings us to this next point of sanctification. And, and the word, if, for you Greek scholars, it's agiosmos. This idea of uh, being holy. Literally, the, the Greek word is to be made holy. Did any of you get that in your, your definition when you wrote down sanctification? Did you, some of you maybe wrote down the idea of being set apart. Did you write down that? Or sacred, or consecrated, or living separately than the world and the ways of the world. Living separately or different than your old life. That's this idea of sanctification. And it is a process of sanctification. It's, we're declared righteous. We are justified, let's say, on the day we get saved or we make a decision for Jesus Christ. We've been declared righteous. We've been declared saved, declared born again. But then sanctification is walking that process out, and it's actually a process. My friend Jordan, who was the high priest, you remember him? He's, he, in real life, he just graduated from ORU with a master's degree in divinity, so he's like really fresh in his Greek and Hebrew. And he was telling me that this word is almost always in the perfect present tense, right? Perfect present? Perfect passive tense. Let me tell you what it means. Perfect passive tense means that it has occurred, is occurring, and will occur. We don't have a tense like that in English. Like we would say, oh, he did something, he is doing something, and he will do something. We have to actually say all three things. In the Greek, you just change the ending to the perfect passive tense, and it's like, oh, we understand that this event has happened, is happening, and will happen. And so in 1 Peter 1-2, it says this, Peter's greeting Uh, some people in his letter. Peter's writing to some people and he says, you guys who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. 
The verse there, by the, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So it's a process. This idea that you, you are sanctified, you, are, you were, you are, and you will be. This process of becoming more and more and more holy, more righteous, more forgiven. more Like when you sin, you're more susceptible to, man, the Holy Spirit is convicting me. I need to go to this person and apologize. I need to make amends for, for the bad mistakes that I did. And the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you holy. On the, on the back of... On the back of the skillet, it's our Sunday school millet. We like to have fun with words. On the back, it has a sweet quote of the day, an unknown author. But it's uh, a quote that helps us think through this. Because last time we talked about works and grace. And that we're saved by grace. But then we, if, there, if works, works should flow out of a true salvation experience. And I like this quote. It says, holy living will not produce righteousness. So on its own. If you try to be good, you try to be a really good boy, try to be a really good girl, and you just do all these good things, you do a lot of good things, that's not enough to be declared righteous. Righteous meaning perfect. You are holy. You are totally forgiven. You are not guilty of any sin you've committed. You cannot do enough good things to cover over your bad deeds. And even if, even if you know, some, some religions say you can, but... And, and so they have all these means of like, oh, you need to bow down so many times. You need to, you know, do these things in order to try to, you know, make enough good karma to outweigh your bad karma. But Christ says, you know, the, the God of the Bible says, he, our God is perfect. He is holy. And to be like him, you must be righteous. And you cannot, holy living will not produce righteousness. But then the other part of the quote, but righteousness should produce holy living. Does that make sense? Think about it. Righteousness, holy living won't produce righteousness. You're not saved by your holy living. But righteousness, if you've been declared righteous, if you've been justified, then that should produce holy living. That this idea of Christ's suffering, that, that even in the Old Testament, those animals being killed is a reminder of, man, you blew it. You blew it so bad. You messed up so bad that an animal needs to be, its, its throat needs to be cut and then that animal needs to bleed to death and then that poor animal dead body needs to be put on the fire and totally burned until there's nothing left and then those ashes need to be taken outside of the city that's how bad your sin was and that's how holy our god is our holy god says you must do that you must see that animal killed and burned to nothing and its ashes brought outside because that's how much I hate sin and I want you to be perfect. So put your faith in me and watch that animal die and and know that the, the sin hurts me as much as you having to watch that poor animal die. And so the process of sanctification is our lives lining up with the fact that we have been justified, that we've been made right before God. So there's justification, the declaration that you're righteous, sanctification, the process of working that out, and finally, glorification. The Greek word up here in the Greek letters is doxa. This, this uh, definition is glory. And, and how many of you put um, for this word, this idea of glorification is receiving a great praise, receiving honor, receiving a distinction, receiving fame, receiving admiration, or many of you maybe put the reward. How many of you put the word reward as part of glorification? This idea that we will be rewarded, we will be glorified 
that, that our hope is not on this earth, but our hope is ultimately in heaven when we will be glorified. That we have a hope that on this earth, there's good things that happen to us. We're saved. And, and we're like, Christ blesses us. But ultimately, our hope is in heaven. When bad things happen to us, we, we, we shouldn't question our salvation because ultimately, our hope is in heaven. If we become a Christian one day and we're like, oh, I'm saved now, I've been justified. But then maybe the next day you get into a car crash. Should, should you be like, oh, man, I guess I'm not really saved because something bad happened to me. No, that's silly. We, we, our hope is in heaven, not in a silly car. Cars are just, you know, cars. No big deal. I mean, it's kind of a big deal to us, but in the greater scheme of things, we have eternity in heaven, a very great reward. I um, talked one time about what heaven will be like in the Mill Sunday School. It was about maybe a year and a half ago, maybe a little more. Yeah, maybe a little more, maybe two years ago, uh, we did a series on heaven. And I, I, I talked about some ideas about what heaven will be like. And sometimes we think that heaven's going to be boring. It's like, oh yeah, we'll be singing to God. And so in your head, you're like, yeah, I can picture that. And you, you picture like at the mill and people's hand raised, people's hands raised, a really powerful worship. You're like, yeah, that's awesome. But then like, like the, you know, like five songs are over and you're like, it's still kind of awesome. And then like 10 songs and like three hours have passed and you're like still at the mill worshiping. And you're like, man, I kind of want to go to Village Inn. I'm getting hungry. And so if your perception of heaven is like this never-ending church service, like, does that sound fun? Like if Sunday school just went on all day? If you're like, man, I kind of want to go to Chili's. I want to go do something else today. I mean, this, I, so, so I say all that to say Sunday school is awesome. Worshiping at the mill on Friday night, that is awesome. But the heaven will not be a never-ending church service. Heaven will be, there'll be food in heaven. There'll be ch- like chilies and, and village inns. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know that, I, I shouldn't say that. I'm joking about that. But, but clearly in the book of Revelation, there is eating in heaven. And so it's not like some people have this idea of like, oh, when I get to heaven, all my desire, I won't have any desires. And all my desires, I'll just be like this blob of desirelessness. It's like, no, you're, you're going to be, you're going to eat food in heaven. You're going to be able to explore. People are exploring in heaven. People are sitting down with God himself and God is teaching them and they're learning. How many of you like to learn? You're in Mill Sunday School. Most of you in here are probably like, yeah, I like to learn. And so they'll be learning in heaven. And it, 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 we'll learn at the feet of the, feet of the Lamb that, they'll be, that we won't need to go to church because it's like, why would we go over here if, like, say we're in heaven right now. Why would we go over here and meet for church if God himself is right here? Like church, the, the heaven will not be an, a never-ending church service. Get that out of your head. It's going to be like adventure and eating food and being with God himself and learning directly from him. And, and it's going to be pretty sweet. So that's our, that's our hope. This hope of a spiritual body. We, we'll get new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how we'll have spiritual resurrected bodies. That your body won't be sick. You won't... Um, you won't um, be weak, but you'll have a spiritual body. It'll be strong. It'll be an awesome new body. And, and so heaven is something that we get to look forward to. It's our home in eternity. And, and there's this, I just want to follow up with that one idea that, that, that our hope, there, there's some of, some of glorification here on earth, that the blessing of the Lord and, and this idea of like a, a good life and that you know Christ is with you. But I don't think Christ the God of the Bible ever promises us a, you know, a, a, a rich, 
a prosperous, a health, you know, this health, wealth gospel that says, you know, if you're, you're good enough on this earth, then Christ is going to bless you with, with large sums of money and a BMW and a really nice mansion with like gold-plated everything. And, uh, and, and it's like, no, that's, our hope isn't here on this earth. Our hope is in heaven. He promises us a mansion. He's, Jesus says he's going to prepare rooms for us in his father's house. And his father's house is very large. And so this idea that, oh, if we're, if we're good on earth and we love Jesus enough, then we're going to get cash and BMWs and, and big gold-plated everythings. It's like, not on this earth. But there is that promise and the, and the hope that we have of sweet mansions and really cool stuff in heaven when we're glorified. And so to wrap up, and, and the last thing in your notes says, salvation summary. And this idea of justification, I think we, we get a lot at church. Maybe before today you didn't know that word. Maybe some of you did. You know the word. I've been justified. It's just as if I've never sinned. I've been forgiven and I'm saved and I'm born again. We get that. And then there, on the other side, there's a the glorification. It's like I'm saved, so I get to go to heaven. And when I get to heaven, there's going to be lots of cool stuff. And there'll be anything I want. And I'll be adventurous. And I'll get to talk to God. And it'll be awesome. And so we, as, as Christians, I think it's easy to understand the born again. And it's easy to understand the, the reward of what we're going to get. But hopefully today, that, that other idea, the middle idea, the process of sanctification was also r- reminded to us. That God is our help as we are in the process of being made holy. We're, the justification, if you're, if you're taking notes, this idea that he is our salvation. That's justification. He's our salvation. And then sanctification, he is our help. It's this process of, of, of being saved, working out what it means to be saved. He, God, is our help. And finally, glorification, he is our hope. He is what we're looking forward to. He is what, he is what we, what we're, we're going to be with him for all eternity. He promises us that we will die on this earth, but we'll be raised again in the end, and we'll, we'll be with him for, forever, for eternity. And, and that's our hope, that we're justified, we're sanctified, and we will be glorified. Let's thank him. Let's pray. Jesus, we honor you. We, we give you all praise for, for what you did on the cross The reminder of you, God, coming down, becoming a a human being, a man, and then dying. And you are an innocent God as as a man on this earth. And you were killed slowly. And and blood came out of your body. And you were tortured on a cross. And God, we, we look at that and we know how much our sin hurts ourselves and it hurts you. We look at the cross and ask for that horrible death of yours to cover us, for you to justify us, for you, Holy Spirit, to to sanctify us, make us holy. And God, ultimately, we look towards heaven. Our, Our hope is in heaven. God, we are excited about that. We know that you have covered over us with your blood, and we can come before you. We can talk to you. We we have been given the status of your being your child. You gave us that right to be your children because we've been justified because of what Jesus did. And so God, we, we praise you this morning. We leave here full of grace and full of hope in what is coming. God, we love you and praise you.
And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. You're dismissed. Leave here slowly. High five some people. Get some more coffee. We'll see you next week. Peace out.